I hope that you had a restful week. Um, some of us had four-day work week, and um, if any president uh, comes onto the scene and says, I promise everyone a four-day work week, I probably will vote for that person. It, it was lovely. And, and um, some of you um, enjoyed the 4th of July. Some of you did that on Sunday. Um, we love to take in uh, the fireworks and just that whole day where you eat and talk and enjoy and then get ready. And so um, some of us went to Delco Park on Monday. Did anyone else go there? We, uh, we had this um, beautiful spot right underneath a, a small tree and it was in the shade and, and uh, Sly Band came in and began to give all these this incredible music of, of, of the, uh, the saxophone and the trumpet and this bass that I, I've never heard someone do that before. And the dancing, um, yes, I started to dance a little bit with it. It was just, it was remarkable stuff. Well, once we started getting situated, it was starting to get dusk a little bit. Um, we had some people around and uh, uh, Lisa and Grace and and uh, Cameron, and Nick, and Mindy, and Holden, and Finley, and Niles, all kind of gathered around, and, and darkness began to fall, and anticipation and expectation began to rise, and they told us to start the countdown, and we got down to five, four, three, two, one. And then for the next 25 minutes, I think that's what rapture will feel like. It was stunning to have all these lights and colors zipping around and coiling and turning and spreading and sprawling and bursting and busting through the, the, the whole darkened sky. You heard the oohs and the ahs all over the place. And as we, we begin to come down and, and the finale hit, have you ever seen a finale at about 50 feet, 40 feet above the, the water? So it's just like right in front of you. And it was so overwhelming. It started with just like snowfall that you started moving into. And then you were encased in this, what are those called? The globes that kind of shimmer. I felt like I was in one of those and just just dangling and suspended, and then, the, and then it started firing again and more and more. Finally, it ended. And as it was ending, I began to look at and listen to people. And they were doing what they could only do, or should I say what they could not help but do. Every single one of them. And as we were picking up, putting our things together and starting to move out, Cameron put his hand on my shoulder and he says, I just, I just wonder if this experience will kind of make it into the message on Sunday. <laughs> so I smiled. And then I began to ponder and pray a little bit. And it began to dawn on me more and more that, that when, when beauty bursts onto the scene, the heart bursts with joy, and joy cannot keep quiet. It cannot 
keep quiet. It must express something. Even the little Niles with his jig and wiggle and twists and turns with his little glow light was expressing something in the midst of beauty. And so as I was thinking about Psalm 107, I've never preached this one before. It's got 43 verses. I could barely get my arms around it, let alone my mind with it, and get it into a 30, 35-minute message. It was stunning as I started moving through it and beginning to see that God is putting on His display. It's not fireworks. It would be considered perhaps grace works on display. And as we work through Psalm 107, you can start turning there if you don't already have it up. It's organized into three parts. The first part, <laughs> the first part is, <laughs> you can cut and splice and try it again, is called a prologue. And then it goes into the central focus, verses 4 through 42, and then it comes out with an epilogue. And so we'll talk a little bit about the prologue, it sets it up, and then we'll end this morning with the epilogue. But right in the middle, we're just going to sit back and there are four displays of God's love for God's people to marvel at, to wonder over, and to applaud Him in the midst of it. It will end that display with a finale, and then we'll hit the epilogue. Now as I read, we're only going to read the prologue and the epilogue, and then I'll have you, we'll pray, and I'll have you be seated, and then the display will start. I want you to pay close attention to commands. The Lord commands His people to think, feel, and do all of life. It's all through the Bible. But this particular large psalm, I was discouring through it and curated it into two categories that only have essentially two commands. Say and see are the two commands. And so hold on to those two and then think about how, O oh Lord, do you empower, strengthen, stimulate, govern, and fuel my heart in order that I will participate wholeheartedly in obedience to the two commands. So, with that as kind of an introduction, I ask you to stand with me. Open your Bibles and hearts to God's Word, to Psalm 107, as we listen to God's Word read to us, the first three verses, and then the last verse, the prologue and the epilogue. Listen now with reverence and joy to God's Word, starting up in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the foe and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And then drop down to the last verse, verse 43, whoever 
is wise. Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, gracious and almighty you are. You are good, all good, all wise, all knowing, all present, omnipresent. Here you are in our midst. And you inspired a poet to write the first psalm in book five that takes us clear through this massive work called the Psalms in a way that is staggering. So open our eyes to behold wonderful things from you. Incline our hearts into your wonder. Help us, O oh Lord, to respond properly, practically, passionately to all that you put on display. And all of God's people said, amen. You, you may be seated. So as I said, the poem is organized into three parts. The first one is a prologue. It's an introduction, and it's in verses 1 through 3. It just starts right off and says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. That is a proper response to everything that we're going to see in verses 4 through 42. Every little display, every activity that we see, every angle into this one issue that we're going to be looking at, out of which should come, oh, thank you, Lord. But he doesn't just give us a command, give him thanks. He then gives some rationale or reasons for why we ought to do what he says to do. Now, he could just baldly, boldly, tersely say, give me thanks. And that would be totally perfect for a perfect God to say that. But he is tender-hearted. He is compassionate. He works on our hearts in different ways to elicit obedience. And so those little word fours all through the Bible are very, very important. It gives a basis, a rationale, a motivation, if you will, for the preceding command. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Now some of you were around on Psalm 73. And we looked at the goodness of the Lord. It is good to be close to the Lord. The Lord is good. And we saw in here that goodness is just His essence. That's who He is. That's inside Him, if you will. That's His heart. He is tender-hearted. He is kind. He is susceptible to moving towards misery and sin and, and sufferings. And He gives His heart and His kindness to those in plights, in predicaments. It's His goodness. That's who He is. And then it fortifies one more time. He is good for, and here is what we are going to concentrate on the rest of the morning. His steadfast love endures forever. Now you have different versions out there. Loving kindness, um, what, what the English versions are attempting to do is get at one of the most prolific words in the Old Testament, and it's chesed. You don't need to remember that, but it's chesed, and then we need to translate it and interpret it. And this is how we generally do it. Loving kindness or steadfast love. 
This is, this is the love that we saw way back when we started the, the Psalms and, and, and noticed that the Lord has given a covenantal promise. His covenant love rests upon His people. He never reneges His promise. He never will break His word. What He says, He will do. Period. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, regardless of how dark it is, regardless of how hopelessness seems to permeate all of life, He never will pull away from His word. And His word was, He spoke with King David. And he said, through your lineage, through your line, I will raise up a king. I will install this king, the blessed man, the anointed one, my son. I will put on the throne of the whole universe. And he will govern and guide, rule and reign with his riches over his people so that his people are protected, provided for, and will praise Him for all eternity. And what He will do is found in Genesis 3.15, and He will crush the enemy, namely Satan, and let loose the captives, namely His people, and He will guide His people to Himself, and they will live in the new heavens and new earth forevermore, fully forgiven of all their trespasses and sins, fully favored, nothing they earn for it. He just lavishes His love upon His children. That's the promise. And tucked into one word is what He is referring to. Chesed. Covenant love upon His people, never to be pulled, ever, no matter what happens in their lives. So that tells us why He is good, and that goodness and loving kindness tells us why we should thank the Lord. Pray unceasingly. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what the New Testament says. That's what we're looking at here. So then he goes on and he says, let the redeemed. So in this Psalm 107, We're now starting to see the Israelites come out of captivity in Babylon. They went out there at about 600 B.C., 587 B.C. They were scattered all over. The the whole land was, was lit up in smoke, and the temple was smashed, and people were killed, and others were taken captivity. Is there any hope in this world? That's why the Psalms is written and compiled, edited, and put together in a book so that 400 B.C., 300 B.C., 200 B.C., when there's no word from the Lord, they have this book to fuel hope, keeping it alive in the midst of seemingly unpromising circumstances. That's what Psalm 107 is doing. If you look back at Psalm 106, I think it's verse 47, right around there. He's just crying out, save us, O Lord. And then you see the, the, the return of the captives from the north and south and the east and the west coming together in one place under one person. That's what he's saying in Psalm 107. It's a response to that prayer in Psalm 106. And now we see the new exodus 
coming out of captivity and coming in from all angles into one place under one person who is the king. And he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's a command. So we are to say, we are to applaud him, we are to thank him. As we move through it, we will see there's praises, there's adoration, there's exaltation, there's sacrifices, there's joyful singing. All those are just packed into that say-so. Say it to the Lord with a wholeheartedness overflowing with joy and gratitude and praise. Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for all that you have done for us. The new exodus of coming out of captivity and back into the promised land. Say so to the Lord and to one another. That would be fellowship. And I would extend it even to others outside the family of God. Those who don't know Christ, aren't believers, say so. Engage your mouth in talking about the loving kindness of the Lord to everyone. That's command number one. Now, is there any fuel or stimulation, strength deep in our hearts that will well up and open our mouths to, to speak with, with, with this kind of alacrity and animation and passion for the Lord? Well, this is the display. He gives us four displays, and then, yes, a finale right before us in order to get to saying this to the Lord. So let's pick it up where we left off, Psalm 107. The first display we will call wilderness wanderings. Verses 4 through 9, it reads, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Then they cried to the, Lord their, to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Oh, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. First we see wanderous, wilderness wanderings. So here's the first display of God's steadfast love. Now these four displays aren't necessarily like some groups. Some sin and suffer like this. Others sin and suffer like that. Rather, I think what we ought to think about is this, these are four ways of looking at one reality. Sin and suffering. So you'll see a pattern through here. They're, they're sinning somehow. They're starting to suffer. They cry out. God's bountiful grace and mercy comes crashing in. Deliverance and salvation occur. And then the opening of the mouth. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the pattern. So here's a way of looking at sin and suffering. Wilderness wandering. And, and, and notice something here. In this big, huge world of, of wasteland, so to speak, 
We set out and look for our own satisfaction and our, and our own significance and how to make sense of life. Where is the good life found? And we get lost in this big world. Notice four words that he uses in here that I think the New Testament picks up and applies to not something but someone. So when we're reading this, we see that they lost their way. So where's the way? And so they're lost on this crooked path. And what happens? They get hungry, they get thirsty, and they can't find home, the city. New Testament hears these echoes and draws it right into, say, John 14.6 when Jesus said, I am the way. And then early on, He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never be hungry. He who believes in Me will never thirst. And so this salvation piece in the Old Testament brought in into Christ and through Christ into the church, we see Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Christ is the bread we eat. We're always satisfied with Him. Christ is the drink. We drink and we thirst no more. And then He guides us guides us home. In Hebrews 11, we don't have time to go there. Hebrews 12 says it as well. It it talks about this, this, this journey by faith. And they're going towards the homeland. And God loves them and, and draws them to Himself to the city. And the way this glorious book ends in Revelation 21 and 22 is the city. Here is God's loving kindness on display for those who are lost, wandering around, sticking their face in broken cisterns that can hold no water, licking up the dust of this world. And they start getting weak and fainting. They cry out. And his ears are always attuned and inclined. And he goes in with gospel reality, sends forth His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave. And you can fill in the blank. There He is. The way, the food, the drink, the city. There is the Christ. We go on to the second display of grandeur, the display of God's love in verses 10 through 16, we read, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High, so He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them 
from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Now here's another way of looking at sin and suffering. And as we continue to look at these displays of God's love before our hearts, eliciting a response, a response of praise and adoration and thanksgiving to our Lord, one thing that might be helpful to you as you're listening to this is think about yourself. And most of us have kind of a go-to sin or a go-to rebellion. Before we were believers, after we are believers, it's diminishing, it's weakening, our, our obedience is more fresh and, and crisp and steady. But think about yourself before or even now. Does it look like you start wandering off and trying to get satisfaction elsewhere from the Lord? Or maybe this one. This one is extremely sad. All of them are extremely sad. But now if, if, if the first display is about this wide open world, traverse it and find your life, and you get lost, hungry, thirsty, ready to faint, can't get your way home. This one is real cramped, tight. This one is gloomy, sitting, solitary confinement. Can't get out. You've tried everything you have and you cannot get out. It's dark, it's dank, and there's no one to help. Maybe that's not you today or even yesteryear, but maybe it's a wayward child, an adult child that has gone off into this world. Or maybe it's one of your cousins or, or your loved ones or your friend. Or you. Think about these people as we start moving into chesed, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. So is there any hope for someone who is in this kind of depressive state this kind of bondage, no way to get out. I don't know if Charles Wesley penned these words with his conversion, but his words have just captured this area right here and in my life and in the lives of ministry over the years. He says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You want to know his power? Yes, look at Psalm 19. The heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. But also look at chesed. Steadfast love never ceases. It's new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. It will never run out. It will never dry out. It will never run away. It moves towards us. February 17th of 1984 at 11 p.m. in room 410 in a little barracks in 
Philippines. I was so trapped in darkness, I couldn't see anything. And it was this type of language that opened my eyes. And in my dungeon, I sensed a freedom that I could leave. And I left with great joy. And I got onto a mountainous road. And it's about 12 midnight. And I walked this mountainous road for who knows how long. I'd still be out there if it were not for Lisa Marie. And these bats and these monkeys are all in the jungle. And all I could do was just praise the Lord. I didn't know if I was going to die then or three decades later. I had no idea. But the steadfast love of the Lord goes into dank, dark, difficult, distressing places and will break your bonds apart and set you free. And what does that do? It opens our eyes to see and then it unleashes our tongue to say, praise, thanksgiving, adoration, extol the Lord. There's another one. It doesn't stop. There's another display, and that's found in 17 through 22. We pick up in verse 17, and we read, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered afflictions. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Here we have probably modern day addiction. So we've got this foolish focus in life here, and addictions promise great things, immediate, great, sensory kind of things, and we look at them, and we start moving towards them, and their promise, it fulfills immediately. But it's like a dimmer switch. Bright and glorious are these promises and these rewards. Come, see, taste, click, dive in. You won't be sorry. And then it starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And now it starts coming out where you're an idiot and you can't get away. And it's like, It's like a black widow coming out of a a crevice onto its web, and you're stuck. And all you're going to do is get chewed up. So much so that that notice it's, it's attacking the taste buds. So even food, all kinds of food are loathsome. And this kind of sinning and suffering starts attacking the body. And, and, and things of sweet and salty and sour and savory 
turn into bitterness. And then emaciation takes over. And there's this shuffle. A shuffle to the gates of death. Is there any hope? Out he comes. Just a little whisper. Help me. Help me. And the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Comes crashing in and He speaks a word. I love that little phrase there. And it touches this individual. And there's healing. Now I think, perhaps, probably, physical healing. But it it goes even deeper than just body. And it goes into the soul. So that this one can be like the psalmist who says, Oh, taste And see that the Lord is good. When I taste of the Lord's loving kindness, out comes, you are good. If I'm addicted, it's addiction to you. A full reversal. Blessings and glory and honor be to the Lord from this day forth and forevermore by means of His chesed. His loving kindness never ceases. Well, then we go into the fourth display. And the fourth display is the longest one here. The first one was about seven verses. The next one was about six verses. This one seems to have a lot of fireworks behind it. And it lasts a very long time. And I don't know why. None of the commentators said anything about it. And so I think I can say something about it. Because you can't be wrong, right? But when when in the Bible... There's a pattern, and then it breaks, and there's something longer. It's usually like one, two, three. One, two, three. It's kind of a pattern. You'll see it in the New Testament as well. This third one is about 11 verses long. Well, let's read it and try to figure out this kind of sinning and suffering. Some, verse 23, went down to the sea in ships doing business On the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight, and they reeled and staggered like drunken men. And, it literally reads here, Their wisdom was swallowed up. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. So I thought a little bit about how to capture this, and it seems to me kind of like a self-confidence. There's no specific sin here. It's businessmen going off to make a profit. And, and so they are strong with confidence, and they have a lot of wisdom. And they go off, and they're just self-confident in doing some things. 
the, the accent here strikes not on necessarily a person or a sin, but on the sovereignty of God. So these folks are going out, and everything is okay, and the sovereignty of God takes the wind and starts whipping it up, and then grabs the waves. And I don't know what a wave to the heaven looks like. It, it's just staggering. And then I don't know what it would feel like when it drops clear down to the depths. Have you ever been on a huge roller coaster? I, I think they're just experiencing this. But, but they're out in, likely, the Mediterranean. And it, it's, a, it, it's a frightening place. And even these, these strong, brave, confident, wise people, their confidence melted. And their wisdom was swallowed up. They became like little children who are utterly dependent and all they can do is lift up their voice and say please help it seems to me like this one which is longer might include more people in this category if it's just a category it's describing some form of sin and suffering but it's almost like uh, a just a self-confidence it's kind of like a self-righteousness it's just kind of like What's wrong with me? I am wise, I am strong, I am confident, and I'm making a living. What's the problem? And the sovereignty of God says, I'll show you the problem. It's you. I'm going to take your eyes off of you and put them on me. And his sovereignty does it all. And these people are reduced down to little itsy-bitsy children who run into the bedroom of the Lord and cry out, help me, help me, help me. It's a beautiful scene. It's one that encaptures what it means to be a sinner on earth, suffering as sinners do, but in a different light, a different way. And every human being needs the Lord's steadfast love which never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Whether you are an addict or whether you are a businessman, every human is in this situation. A predicament and a plight, crying out, and then there's intervention from the Lord. Well, that takes us to the finale. And I'm just going to read it and marvel at the finale. The finale at Delco, I, I couldn't even breathe. It just came at us, and it was popping and twisting and swirling and screeching and drifting and glowing, and I was just reduced. I could barely say a word. Maybe this finale will do that to us as we think about the Lord. It is organized into two parts. You'll see first a place or an environment, a habitat in which people live, and then it shifts into people, and you'll see justice there. But let's get on with it, starting up with verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Becoming or because of the evil of its inhabitants. 
He turns the desert into pools of water, parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they were diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of the affliction and makes the families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. And there's the big finale. There's the big picture. A barrage of big blessings poured out on the viewer of Psalm 107. And it it captures something of this big grand storyline of the Bible. That when Adam and Eve sinned, you'll read it in Genesis 3, the curse was put on and even the ground groans and it puts out thorns and thistles and dryness, arid, wilderness, wanderings, and all of this. This is part of the, the, the judgment of God on rebellion of humanity. And so you can see that he turns it into that, and then it begins to reverse. And now he's going to take an arid wasteland, a wilderness, a desert, and make it into like Hawaii. <laughs> it's, 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 it's plush, it's verdant, it's green, it's glorious, and it's, it's productive. There's fruitfulness and fertility, and, and it's, this is, this is a, a picture of the new heavens and new earth where all this is going, where our bodies will be resurrected. Uh, this whole earth, this whole cosmos, the universe, will be transformed into new heavens and new earth, and all will be well. There will be no sin. There will be no sickness. There will be no sadness. There will be no Satan. There will be blessings and beauty and glory for all eternity. That's the habitation, the place. And then he shifts, and he talks about the oppressor and the um, oppressed. And he says, there will be justice. The princes in this passage were oppressing the needy. And they are going to go into trackless walks, and the needy are going to be lifted up, and they're going to be blessed over and over and over again. And that's just another way, another picture of, of talking about the great truths of the gospel. That it's not merely um, salvation from a particular sin. It's, it's global. And we are part of that with full and forever forgiveness and full and forever favor and pleasure given to us, and then we are put into a habitation, the second coming of Christ, where the new heavens and new earth pop, and all of eternity is a glorious reality, and this is our city, this is our home, we finally made it. That's the finale. And then oddly, verse 42 just kind of pops in there. The upright see it and are glad. So Monday night when I was looking around, I was watching eyeballs that were just like saucers 
watching this display. They were seeing it, and they were glad, and they were expressing it. Some were like, ooh, ah. Others were jumping up. Mindy said, Dan's giving a standing ovation. To whom? (laughs) I don't know. I just felt like standing up and giving a standing ovation. And, and, and the people behind me were not happy. <laughs> Verse 42, see it and say it out of a gladness. Gladness is growing to such an extent that it gives rise to, I'm going to go public in the assembly, in the congregation, and wherever else I'm at, and give thanks and glory and praise to God this day forth and forevermore because of his steadfast love endures forever. Now there are people, the malcontents, the bored, the, the, the very constricted brain, I am grumbling and complaining because life is awful, people. Verse 42 talks about them. And their mouth is shut. How could you keep your mouth shut in the, in the light of four displays and a whole finale? That's a good sign that they're not born again. If you are amidst the grumbling and complaining, waking up, this food doesn't taste good, this day looks gloomy, you might want to pump the brakes. You might want to think about something. And you might want to do the second and last commandment. You find it in verse 43. Whoever is wise, that is code language for born from above, true members of the covenant family, alive from the dead spiritually. They are the upright, verse 42. Whoever is wise, let him pay attention or regard these things. Referring back to 4 through 42. Pay attention to these things. Keep the gospel before your eyes ongoingly. Let it pop before you. And if your heart isn't stirred, get some more of it and get it going and look at that. And then it says this. It's it's Hebrew parallelism, so he's going to say the same thing, but he's emphasizing it. Let them consider, and there it is, the steadfast love of the Lord. I'm just closing with an exhortation on meditation and considering. Do you stop, stare, study until you savor what you are reading? Do you involve yourself in repetition Rehearsal so that you're moving towards readily relishing what is there. Does that make sense? Say yes or no, because I feel all all alone right now. So I don't know how you do it. This is how I did it last week. It's just a piece of paper. And yes, it's a little dangerous at 70 miles an hour, but try to be careful. Keep it before you and memorize and meditate and cogitate and ruminate and just start digging into his word and saying, please open my heart. I feel dead. 
dislodge this gloom in my brain. I can't see. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your word. That is the display of God's love before a watching world who happens to be the covenant family. May God, in his grace, mercy, and covenant love, resurrect, renew, and strengthen the affections of our hearts and the illumination of our eyes so that we can actually see and savor what is really there, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Ruler, and Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for a moment in your word. I pray that it will not be a moment in your word I pray like we started with Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night, day and night, day and night. Oh, help us to have a regular routine of rehearsing the good news of great joy found in Jesus. Bless us, we pray, so that you will get the blessings publicly and you will receive the honor due your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.